and I walked out of that room and I walked out of my career, my international career. It's widely believed that this is the phone that has changed phones forever. Turning to our top story this morning, and that is confirmation of the first case of COVID-19 in the Republic. I need you to get me your vote on November 4th. Let's get Brexit done. Now, as you probably know, we're exploring uh, on News Talk the 20 most influential moments of the past two decades. Every day across the station, we're looking back at a particularly influential moment chosen by you, uh, the listeners. Today, we want to talk about the growing threat posed by climate change in the last 20 years. And I suppose the growth of campaigns around the issue, many spurred on by the Swedish teenager uh, Greta Thunberg. Is it too late to act? Can we do anything to save the planet? Well, joining us to talk about this is Cara uh, Augustenberg, a fellow in environmental policy at UCD and regular News Talk contributor. Cara, like in some ways, is there an argument that says global warming should have been a bigger story over the last 20 years than it actually has been? Oh, yeah, certainly, Shane. I mean, we have been trying to create a global agreement on climate change really since as long as I've been alive. I mean, the first Earth Summit in Rio in 1992 was when scientists from around the world asked governments to please create a global agreement on climate action. And there was even a young girl, 12-year-old Severne Cullis Suzuki, who was the girl who silenced the world for five minutes and gave a speech very similar to the kind of speeches we've seen from Greta Thunberg. So uh, this has been a long time coming, and, and it's a bit of a shock to think that really we only turned the page on fossil fuels uh, in 2016 when we agreed to the, the Paris Climate Agreement. So uh, it, it's 20 years of hard work by campaigners. Uh, the Greta Thunberg phenomenon, um, how do you feel about that? Is it a, is it a positive development? Oh, it's absolutely positive. I think uh, it's not just Greta, and I don't think Greta would would want this to all rest on her shoulders. She's really a representative of a growing global movement, you know, that started even here in Ireland 27 years ago when we started the the Green Schools program here. I mean, myself, I didn't hear about climate change until I was in graduate school, and it was one week of an atmospheric chemistry class. But but kids today and and young people in their 20s have had environmental science in their curriculum uh, all through primary and secondary school and Greta would be just like them and and kind of get how connected we are and how dependent we are on the environment. So it's not really a surprise that people her age are quite angry and calling for global action on this issue that that we've known about for so long. Yeah, is the message sinking in? Because I have to tell you, whenever we cover it on the show, the reaction we get from people, the text reaction tends to be, now obviously this isn't everybody, but the text reaction tends to be, we're so small, it doesn't make any difference what we do, or I'm driving my car and I need my car for X, Y and Z, and I'm going to light my fire and I need my coal Mm. and I smokeless or or smoky uh, coal. I don't get a sense that Irish people give two hoots about global warming in general. Well, look, you're always, I, I having worked for News Talk, I know you're always going to hear from the minority of contrarians, but uh, I, I will say that, I mean, this is the role of education. This is why things like the Green Schools program and, and education. Yeah, and I'm not sure education. they're a minority. That's my point. Well, yeah, um, I would disagree. I mean, what I see And I'm not sure they're contrarians. They might be contrary, but I'm not sure yeah, they're contrarians. I would say, though, that this is the role of the media and we have failed no, in No, sorry. Uh, it's not, like, I have to pick you up on this. This isn't about the role <laughs> of the media I'm saying this is the feedback we're getting from, I know, from but where, where are people getting their information from? I mean, uh, the people who have been educated in this and understand how dependent we are on the environment, they they get that this is an important issue. People who have not been educated on this, they do have those questions. They do, why Cara, they do. Anything. And sorry to keep cutting across you. They get it. 
but it's a case. Okay, it's great. like it's like Lord make me chase, but not yet. Or I don't want to do it. It's for somebody else. That's the yeah. Point. And this is why it is so important to to get across why we need to change, and the fact that we have to make some really tough choices now on how we transition to a low carbon society. That it's not whether or not climate change exists, or why should we do anything about it, or how much is it going to cost us. We need to have the tough conversations on what are we going to do about it. What are the choices we're going to make? And and the narrative has changed a lot in the media in the last four or five years where where those nuances are being explored and it's not just whether or not we believe in climate change or whether or not it's real. Okay, all right. Uh, thank you indeed, Cara Augustenberg, a fellow in environmental policy at UCD and of course regular News Talk contributor. Now, throughout the day on News Talk, we'll continue to talk about the 20 most influential moments of the past dec- two decades as chosen by you, the listener. Now, this week and for the next three weeks, we're exploring News Talk's 20 most influential moments of the past two decades. Every day across the station, we look back at an influential moment as chosen by our listeners. And we want to talk about climate change today. Uh, With climate change has come a growing number of activists and campaigns, and many of them are led by young people. But are they making a difference? Well, I'm joined on the line by one of them. Jessica Dunn is a youth activist, a TEDx speaker and a fifth year student at St. Raphael's in Dublin. And we're also joined joined on the line by environmental educator Sue Adams. Good morning to you both. Uh, Jessica, I'll start with you. Um, You know, in every movement, there are leaders and then there are some followers and then there's a great mass of people who don't really care one way or the other. How would you characterise the climate change movement among your generation? Um, Well, I think with the climate change movement, especially within activism, I think that there's a great push for non-hierarchical movements, especially because I think that in the last like few decades, I think we've seen a lot of movements that have lived and died with one person. And with this movement, while there is definitely faces to it behind the scenes and also like just in different countries, we see kind of this push for a lack of leadership in it. Now, what what exactly happens in Ireland? Um, you are involved in all of this with other groups. So, are they, you know, school based? Are they more broadly based? Um, definitely more broadly based. Um, like um, we would liaise with, I would liaise with um, with students all over the country. Um, in the Irish Secondary Schools Union, we do a lot of stuff on sustainability. Obviously, in Fridays for Future, and um, yeah, all these different movements both internationally and nationally, we're working with people from all over and from different backgrounds. Now, when you say you're working in practical terms, I mean, many students are still living with their parents. So in terms of what goes on in their homes, the family holidays they take, the their use of energy, whether or not they cycle to school or whether they're dropped to school or take public transport, a lot of those issues are out of their hands. So because they're still dependent on living in the home of their parents, so what can young people specifically for themselves do? I mean, I think that individual action is important and it's something that we've seen a very much a push for sustainable lifestyles, both with young people and with adults. And obviously in their own life, they can take steps to start uh, shopping more sustainably, shopping secondhand and just cutting down on what they buy. But also I think that there needs to be this kind of focus off of exactly individual action and I think a lot of young people are pushing for more systematic action so that's why you see a lot of protesting in young people. Yeah but isn't that the easy answer? You know do as I say not do as I do. I'm still you know taking the private car to school sixth year kids with their own cars when they could take the bike. Um, Well I think that 
again, I think there's a lot of people who are pushing for individual action, and that is important. But at the same time, there is only so much that we can do, even as adults, to um, to rectify the climate crisis. There's only so much that we can do. You know, it is a problem with government as much as it's a problem with individuals. And while it needs to be led from the bottom down, there also needs we need to meet in the middle with the government working from the top down as well. Yeah, uh, I remember the uh, it's quite a number of years ago, but in the United States, there was an argument over tuna fishing uh, because it was catching dolphins and the kids stopped eating tuna. And pretty soon it brought about a change to sustainable fishing of uh, tuna while not catching dolphin. I mean, that that was an action by young people where they sacrificed their tuna sandwiches in order to bring about change. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I love seeing that sort of thing where people, we see that consumers are, they have power, that they are the consumer and therefore they have influence over industry. But at the same time, there is larger problems and we can focus on all those problems. We don't have to just choose one. So people can look to individual action and they can look to systematic action too. Yeah. And the systematic action is to bring presumably locally pressure on our government to do certain things. What do you want our government to do? I mean, I'm only speaking for myself and not for the entire climate movement, but I think that there just needs to be stronger legislation. We saw like a climate bill, which is trying. It's a a good step in the right direction, but there's not a lot of focus on climate justice or even on the sustainable development goals. They're not mentioned in the climate bill. Uh, one of the texters uh, on News Talk here uh, has this remark. If kids keep eating meat and flying and using screens, then they're all talk and no action. <laughs> um, I would not agree with that at all. I think that, again, people have been trying to uh, change as much as they can in their own lives. But there is only certain things that we can change. We live in a world where you have to use technology. We live in a world where flying is sometimes necessary to get to certain places. And a few young people stopping flying isn't going to change that. It's a, the majority of flights taken every year are by business people. It's not by holiday goers. And a few young people not going on those flights isn't going to change anything. And we need to try and find sustainable ways except that that needs to be brought from the top down. Yeah. No, it's just that the listeners are talking about all the kids who go off after the Leaving Cert on uh, summer, summer holidays, which demand flights, uh, schools that go on skiing holidays and all that sort of thing. So, And I think that saying all talk and no action is, it's a very wild statement, but I think that it's also quite unfair because I think even if you are protesting and you're not able to change much in your individual life, first off, being able to change stuff in your individual life, while there is some things that you can do easily, it is a privilege a lot of the time to be able to do things sustainably because they can be more expensive. And as well as that, the majority of youth activists that I see have given up a lot of stuff and put in so much work and effort into protesting and into campaigning. So to say that they're all talk and no action is completely disregarding the work that it takes to talk about systematic change. 
A number of comments, uh, again, from News Talk listeners. Michael, a recent TV programme calculated the carbon cost of electronic devices. Massive costs. Maybe the young people could sacrifice their mobile phones and save the world. Another one from Tom. The carbon footprint of the manufacturer of a mobile phone is bigger than that of a car. This is probably because of the rare elements that are put into a phone, which require massive mining and all that. Uh, Will the activists support people giving up their mobiles? Well, I think you've already said, uh, Jessica, that's not going to happen. Um, Educators Sue Adams is uh, on the line, environmental educator. Uh, Sue, uh, what do you actually do to educate the young people and perhaps others in what is required of all of us? Um, So I work in schools. I deliver environmental education to primary and secondary schools. And what I do, thankfully, there is some environmental education now starting to come into different subjects. But what I do is I bring, it's kind of like an ecosystem in itself. And I bring all of the information they've learned in science about energy or geography, migration, or any of the other subjects. And I interpret that into the lives of a 12, 13, 14, 15, or 16 year old. So we would look at tangible things that a 15 or 16 year old can change. So plastic, for example, we all use plastic or fast fashion, or how do we cut down our carbon footprint through our um, through our dinner plate, how we come to school. So we look at the global concepts that they've already learned and we basically just make them real so that people feel empowered to make a difference. And, yeah. you know, you noted there that obviously a lot of the young people, they're all still living at home. But, you know, I encourage the kids to go home and actually influence the shopping basket and say to their parents, no, I don't want to buy this anymore or let's have a meatless Monday. And the influence children have in their parents is massive. And my money is on this generation to actually educate the older generation because there's all this talk in the past of, oh, it's the you, this generation are going to save the world. It was the older generation that did it um, kind of thing. But when people say that, it's like, yeah, it was the older generation, but like your generation, Pat, but to be fair, you didn't really know what the problem was. But my generation, so the likes of Jessica's um, mum and people around that age, we are the ones who actually now have the information and we uh, know the damage that we're doing. So it's really time to stand up and be counted. Yeah. And Now, now yeah. talking about plastics, and you do the best you can if you can find a, a bottle of water in glass rather than plastic, that's, that's terrific. You want a sustainable coffee cup, either one that you keep forever or one that you can dispose of and it can be recycled. But there are harder choices, aren't there? When it comes, for example, to that summer holiday, the family are going off on the holiday and they're flying. Yeah, well, I think, you know, of Uh, course, there, there are bigger things, but you do what you can where you can. There's no point flooding and overwhelming people. And there is big problems with this. Um in terms of people the concepts sometimes are just too big and people just get overwhelmed by it and they say well I'm not going to do anything so the very first thing I would say to the kids is you do what you can where you can so if that's buying toothpaste in a glass jar instead of uh, you know in a package or 
you know, if you can't afford an electric car, you do the little things that will yeah. cost you maybe one or two euro. And, you know, I think with COVID now, there's lots of really positive things that have come out with it. And so many people are falling back in love with our own country, which is wonderful and maybe don't see the need to fly anymore. So, you know, our values are changing. Another, um, I think, plus from COVID, where we've really sat back and looked at what's important in our society. And with obviously the climate movement, people are really starting to reevaluate what we need to do for a future. Because I know for me as a mother of four, I want clean air, good food and clean water for my kids. That's all I want. Okay, uh, thank you for that. Uh, that's Sue Adams, who's an environmental educator. And uh, before that, we were talking to Jessica Dunn, a youth activist, a TEDx speaker, and a fifth year student at St. Raphael's in. And we're continuing our series here on News Talk about the 20 most influential moments over the past 20 years. This is all voted for and suggested by you, our listeners. And today we're looking at climate change, the uh, global wake-up call. Well, here's one very influential young voice on this topic. For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil and that I refuse to believe. Yeah, the voice of Greta Thunberg, the Swedish environmental activist who's internationally known for challenging world leaders now at this stage to take immediate action against climate change. But there's also lots of very impressive young people here at home who are um, using and taking action on climate change. Flossie is one of those. She's been a climate change activist since she was nine years of age. She's now 13 and joins us here on Lunchtime Live this afternoon. Flossie, will you tell us how you um, got started? Um, well, when I was like nine or eight years old, um, I noticed that there was a problem on our local be- my beach, that uh, my beach was like filthy, covered in plastic pollution, and I knew that was wrong because there are, we, I live in a place with so much beautiful marine life, and the biosphere is so healthy and amazing, and yet it's covered in plastic pollution, so I just thought that was dreadful and knew I had to do something about it. So I started a beach cleaning group. And how long is that running now? Ooh, about four years now. Okay, right. And how frequently do you do you do the beach cleans? During the summer, we do it um, around every night. Then during the winter, we would do my mum so, um, once a week. Okay. And what sort of you know interest do you get from from other people? Sorry, can you say that again? Would you, do many people come along and help you, or is it just you and your own? Um, well, yeah, my mum and I, when we make it public, we get, do get a good crowd. When we make it, and um, when we do it privately, obviously, there's no one. Nowadays, yeah. we can't have anyone with, due to COVID, but hopefully that will end um, soon because we're about to go into level three and get out of level five. Thank yeah, God. Hopefully, yeah, we'll find out more about that la- later on this evening as well. I just played a little clip there of um, Greta Thunberg at the start of the programme. Has she been much of an influence on, on you? Um, Greta is my hero she is incredible
read up. She's the world's hero. She's the most amazing person in the world. She started climate striking, as me and my practical friends are now. And she's, she's the one who made climate change aware and aware to the world. Yeah. And when you see the, the various different types of, you know, kind of student and young people led protests that have taken place even here in Ireland in um, in more recent times, do, you know, do, do you have confidence that this is something that we can address or maybe change attitudes towards, Flossie? Well, I've always had confidence that we can stop climate change, but right now we're in the middle of COVID, which is a huge pandemic. And well, well, well it's a massive pandemic and the world has done whatever they can to stop it. I mean, we're still in the middle of COVID. It's still dreadful, yes, but we are making changes in our everyday lives. Mm. Every day, we're constantly doing what we can to change um, uh, to stop um, COVID. And climate change is a pandemic just like COVID. It's just not being seen as much as one. But, but um, since everyone's making such changes for COVID, that means we, I know we will make changes for um, uh, climate change as well. Yeah, we've, we've Christmas, of course, coming now in the next couple of weeks. And I know a lot of um, activists would often say, you know, it's a, it's a fairly, you're a very environmentally unfriendly time. Why is that? Um, well, everyone that does love, well, for one, chopping down the trees and um, buying um, a single-use um, uh, loads of single-use decorations which they just throw away and get more plastic single-use decorations the next year but I'm talking to the old bar humbug on this I I am a, I'm a, everyone loves Christmas I'm obsessed with Christmas Christmas is the best time of all and we can make it better by doing environmental changes for our um, Christmas which does do make impact and can even make it more fun mm-hmm. yeah do you think even at the moment here in 2020 like just you know despite the pandemic or certainly up to this point are we are we making good enough strides here in Ireland? Well, we definitely are this year. Now that the Green Party are in, finally, we are making huge, amazing changes. And I believe we always are going to make changes, but are the changes enough? We just have to keep working hard, work together, and remember this is a crisis and we need to treat it like one to solve it. I'm going to bring in um, uh, Arshdeep as well, who joins us here on News Talk this afternoon. Now, you're 17 and you're part of the Youth for Sustainable, their development group with um, with UNESCO as well, Arshdeep. C- can you um, just maybe tell us a little bit about that development group? Uh, yeah, and UNESCO, in UNESCO, we discuss and learn about the sustainable development goals and how we can like take action on them and how we can like try and... Uh, support them like support other like people trying to uh make make action on sustainable development and for instance like we lobbied we were like we tried to we learned how to do lobbying against like uh about against politics with politicians i mean sorry and yeah it's like really interesting like the sort of thing events the sort of workshops they do as well like learn about like plastic and like shark weeks and we learn about like biodiversity and all about these different animals mm. and how uh, like sharks, they aren't actually that uh, scary. They're a lot more friendly than you think they are. Really? Yeah, if you learn about it, they actually are. Right. <laughs> uh, listen, I want to ask you about um, whether or not you feel we're making enough of an effort here in in Ireland. Do you think are we making tr- making any progress in, in I recent? I feel like years? we're making a lot of progress, but I don't think we're making enough. So, okay. com- and in comparison to the other countries in Europe and the EU, I don't feel like we're making enough, though. But we are making a lot with the Green Party and they're adding the cycle lanes in and around the city and in parts of Dublin. So I think that's great with the 
back then. There's quite a few. Uh, there's, quite, there's quite a few green politicians who are like in support of that, which is wonderful. Yeah. Do you think are there kind of day to day changes though that you know families or households could make themselves, even small things that they might do at home? Yeah, there definitely is. There's like uh, alternatives to things which you can change, uh, like anyone can do. Like if you have a plastic bottle, you can, instead of ordering a crate of plastic bottles, you can just get a flask and just refill that each time or get a a metal straw or there's beeswax um, cling films, which you can just keep reusing and washing. So it it could actually be cheaper than the cling film you have at home. Okay. Um, Yeah, no, continue. Yeah, so like there's loads of like fruit options or like vegetable options, which they come in uh, packaging and no packaging. So like you can just get the ones without packaging or there's more sustainable packaging versions of like porridge, for instance. So there's still things, alternatives that we can make every okay. day. Just kind of small, small little steps. Just Flossie, before I let you go as well, um, just maybe what's your your message to people out there just um, as we head into Christmas now? I think my message well, my be, main message... Yeah, go on ahead, Flossie. Sorry, sorry there's a bus going by. Um, my main message would be definitely that and if we, climate change is a problem, a problem that we can fix if we all work together. My favourite quote from Mary Robinson is, hope energises and paralyses, and I believe we have them there, which is really strong and powerful, because we can't do this if we all keep sweeping under the carpet and acting like it's not a problem. It is a problem, and it's something we can just have to go towards in a positive solution. And don't and I really want people to remember we have to stay safe this Christmas if we want to celebrate yeah, it well absolutely. and that's, try to do it as sustainably as we can that's for sure Flossie and uh, Arshdeep thanks for joining us here on Lunchtime Live this afternoon Now, we're returning again to the most influential issues of the last 20 years. And today, it's climate change. And while the vast majority of scientific and political opinion agrees that it is an urgent global issue, there's far less of a joined-up approach to combating it. You'll be familiar with the Extinction Rebellion protests. And from that has sprouted Ocean Rebellion, which concentrates uh, on the environmental impact of shipping. Activist Sophie Miller joins us now on News Talk. Afternoon, Sophie. Good afternoon, Sean. How are you? Uh, and so when we're talking about shipping, or, uh, is it all sorts of shipping or particular sorts? So um, Ocean Rebellion so far has been quite focused on cruise shipping. Um, but we are generally um, concerned with all kinds of shipping. And uh, more recently, we've been looking at um, greenhouse gas emissions from shipping in general. And how bad are they? Well, um, they, they're huge. Um, shipping emissions are equivalent to, um, to basically an entire country. So, um, so yeah, it's huge. And um, cruise ships particularly, which is, is uh, our initial focus when we first set up back in August, um, <clears throat> we've got data say, showing that cruise ships, um, a single cruise ship, can emit as much um, or emits as much sulfur dioxide as um, one million cars in so per minute of tick over it's the same as having a million cars kind of on tick over which is just huge the number the numbers are huge I'm personally I'm not actually one of the numbers people I'm more involved in the creative actions but, yeah but when you read the data you're just like oh my god how come everybody doesn't know about this and um, 
when you talk about it to people, they're they're generally actually horrified and also shocked that they don't know more about it. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean that's why I asked you because people would probably yeah. be more familiar with cars and and industry, but you know, there's there's far less attention uh, seemingly uh, paid to shipping. Now, as I understand it, the focus of your protest so far has been, uh, as you say, on the cruise ships, which is just people who don't have to get on a ship but get on a ship anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, we we started we started in August. That was um, when we had our, our very first sort of inaugural action in Falmouth in Cornwall in the UK, and um, we had a a very large uh, luxury luxury yacht which uh, pulled up there moored up there for um, for lockdown, and um, it's called the World, and um, it's it basically it's it's. It's not so much a cruise ship as um, a big, giant floating apartment block. So it has 160 apartments on it for super rich people to kind oh. of cruise the world. And they don't have to pay yeah. tax anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's, uh, when, you, when you look at it, you're like, oh, my God, does that actually exist in the world? That's kind of nuts. So, yeah, they kind of they cruise the world and um, they kind of almost, I don't know, you can kind of picture them cruising the world sort of watching uh, the Arctic melting, going, oh, look at the Arctic melting there, um, <laughs> whilst c- contributing very, very, very directly to the Arctic melting. Um, so it was too much of a sort of clear target for us to to miss, really. So it, initially, we we had been, um, we obviously, the, the oceans are a huge subject. I mean, they've got um, shipping, you've got fishing, you've got deep sea mining, greenhouse gases, there's, there's all kinds of things. Um, ocean acidification, sea level rises, the list goes on and on and on. But because we're a grassroots organisation, it's very much concerned with what what is in your local area. So for us setting up, it was like, oh, okay, so that's arrived here. Rather than going for deep sea mining or anything else, that's what we're going to target. So that's what we did. Um, and then that led on to to us learning a lot more about it and uh, making other contacts as well. So a group in Weymouth got in touch with us. They actually have between seven and ten cruise ships um, there at anchor at any one time. Um, so you can imagine, you know, beautiful, lovely sort of coastal area looking out to sea and you've got ten great cruise ships on your coastline, um, on your horizon line, pumping mm. out smoke into the atmosphere. So there are a lot of people who are who are quite bothered about it. Some people are, are more just curious and like, oh, aren't they pretty? They put their lights on at night. But um, but yeah, <laughs> the, and the, the form of your protest is, is a lot of that actually shining huge lights on on, on these vests. Well, yeah. So um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, the form of our protest was um, we we have a projector and um, we took a projector out to sea on a boat and um, projected um, slides, so information about the cruise ships and what they're doing onto the side of the cruise ships and then photographed it and off we went again. So it's not causing any kind of permanent disruption or um, any damage or anything. It's purely presenting facts onto the side of the cruise ship. So we um, we said things like uh, one ship equals one million car exhausts, um, that a cruise liner uh, has on average, dumps on average worth 10 swimming pools worth of sewage per week into the sea. Um, things like that, you mm. know. Yeah, and, of, and the, the, <laughs> big do, facts. Do you ever get to encounter any of the passengers on these ships? Because they may not even have been dimly aware or, or thought much 
uh, about the implications of what they've signed on to do? Only through conversations afterwards. Um, obviously, everything's been in lockdown for everybody, mm, so course, there haven't yeah. been any there haven't been any people on board um, any of the ships or any any passengers on board. There's been uh, minimal crew on board, but um, in conversations with people afterwards, uh, I've definitely had people say to me like, once they've found out the facts, they're just like, "Oh my god, I'm I can't do that anymore. I just don't want to do that anymore," um, because people think that cruising and, and in all honesty, I thought that cruising was was relatively harmless. I, mm. I had no idea that it was so so toxic for the environment. Um, and when people know those facts, they they just often don't want to do it anymore. They don't yeah. want to be part of it. Um, even down to the fuel that they use, the fact that they use um, heavy fuel oil, which is a waste product of the petroleum industry, which um, they then um, they have these things on on lots of boats called scrubbers, which. Basically, the idea is that they kind of clean the fuel in a way on the boat, so they make it more legal for um, for emissions. But the toxins that are in there get kind of scrubbed out and dumped in the water. So, um, yeah, it's, okay. it's quite shocking. Right, so it doesn't yeah. go into the air; it goes into the water. Uh, yeah. That's great. Uh, and, and I buy now. At the same time, I suppose, like the, the the cruise ships, that's a choice. They don't need to be there at all. But I suppose there are many other vessels on the sea. Uh, that are exporting goods to countries all around the world and kind of need to be there. Uh, and if we got rid of them, it might impact poor people more. It- there are. And um, that's a that's a big conversation um, because we need to, I, I guess, a lot of what we need to do is to come up with ways of doing things differently, um, maybe using less and importing less um, around... Um, well, probably almost every single thing that you use has been has arrived on a cruise ship. I mean, or not on a cruise ship. Sorry, on a on a on a, um, a cargo vessel. I mean, I'm holding a mug of tea right now. The tea came in that way, didn't it? The mug mm. came in that way. It's all, it's all, it's it's huge, and it's about the way that we we function on the planet at the moment, isn't it? We we consume too much essentially. And um, we're trashing the planet. So all of us together have to find a better way to do things. And that that probably doesn't involve importing and exporting massive amounts of stuff all around the globe. It involves total change and um, reducing, using locally, using local resources, reusing things. It's it's going to be a slow transition, but it, it does need to be speeded up because as I'm sure you're aware from, from the work that you're doing and um, a lot of your audience are aware, um, climate change is, is happening and um, temperatures are going up and we, we really don't have time to to spend too much time figuring it out. We just kind of need to create change now. Mm. Now, from what I've read and what I understand, I mean, people have talked about battery-powered planes, but battery-powered ships seem to be more of a viable uh, reality or possibility, I should say, uh, in, in the not-too-distant future. So hopefully that might yeah, be something absolutely. too. Yeah, and even for cruise ships, there's, there's kind of a, a sort of halfway thing uh, rather than actually stopping cruise shipping altogether. There's the option of electric hookups when cruise ships are... Um, are in in harbour, they can they can link up to electric um, electric power, so that rather than ticking over their engines when they're when they're um, at anchor, they can have electricity and um, from from the shore side, and um, and that's better. They're they're 
even especially if it's produced by green means but even still it's it's still better than burning heavy fuel oil mm. so uh, somebody's texting in to say a documentary aboard a cruise ship recently showed its laundry per day registered at 15 tons one five tons really that doesn't yeah. surprise me it's and insane that's, it's insane yeah. that's a lot that's a lot of detergent sophie it thank is. you very much for uh, speaking with us today uh, and, and best of luck that's uh, activist sophie miller uh, from the group ocean rebellion At the moment here on News Talk and on the hard shoulder, we're uh, remembering or exploring the 20 most influential moments of this century thus far, as voted on by you, the News Talk listener. We've had 9-11, we've had Saipan, we've had the Celtic Tiger and the crash. Today we're looking at climate change and I suppose how climate change has inserted itself more prominently into the public consciousness in the last few years, uh, spurred on by people like uh, Greta Thunberg. So uh, when we do talk about this, we often talk in, in big, broad brushstrokes about carbon taxes and agricultural emissions and industrial emissions. But what can we do on an individual basis that, that can make help affect real change? Uh, well, Emma Gleeson is a writer and sustainability advocate and Geraldine Carton is the co-founder of the Use Less Project. You're both very welcome to the show. Emma, if you were to give people one thing, one little change or big change that they could make in their lives that would have the most impact, what is it? I think it's reframing any change you make as what is going to add to your life. You know, so many change, so many uh, people who talk about this stuff, they talk about like we need to cut back and yes. we need to stop this. It really it's is all kind of improve. miserable, isn't it? Yeah. And I really it's a, such a big part of what I do is trying to see, trying to teach people that it's going to really add to your life. You are going to have a less cluttered house. You are going to be healthier and you really are going to save money. Um, in terms of a small change, my favorite thing, my favorite way of trying to reduce how many clothes you buy is to rotate your wardrobe. So if you feel a bit bored of what you have in your wardrobe, um, have some clothes put away that you really love, that then when you get that niggle to buy something new, you can take them out. And it's like going shopping in your own wardrobe. So those are the two things. See it as the positive changes that you are going to make. Mm. It's I've been trying to do this work for years. It's really hard to get people to make long-term changes just out of, you know, virt- being more virtuous, you know, the kind of the, the big existential questions. This really is going to change your life for the better. Okay. Um, my, uh, yeah. My, my colleague Shane Coleman rotates his wardrobe with the seasons, but I don't think that's because he, he wants to cut down the <laughs> amount of clothes he has. I think that's something else. Well, most people entirely. do that anyway. <laughs> but it, it's a way it's a way of getting out of you know. There's a psychological trick called the hedonic treadmill, where we you know we adapt to what we have and we need we find that niggle for wanting something new and we're yeah. so caught in that cycle and obviously the fashion industry and all product the the whole industry of global commerce feeds that yeah um, do you so, know I, I've been guilty of that in recent weeks myself I kind of can't wait for the shops to open just so I can just buy some and I, I don't buy much clothes like it which my wife will tell you like she was given out to me that I, I'm kind of threadbare you know and the backside no. falling out of my trousers but yeah. you know a bit of me kind of just wants to go down and buy you know, a cheap shirt or something just for the sake Listen, of doing it it's so human like I I, I have a master's in material culture. I like it is so human. It's not kind of 
evil and corrupting to want new things. You know, material culture is part of what makes us human. It's just, you know, the massive uh, churn of new products all the time that has us in our kind of polluted mess. Okay. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with that desire. It's just keeping it under, yeah. <laughs> keeping it in control. Well, well listen, um, Emma, don't go anywhere. I mentioned Geraldine Carton, the co-founder of the Use Less Project, who's also on the line. Geraldine, what would be your, the one thing you would recommend that someone like me could do that would have the most impact? Hello. Um, well, I would say, I suppose, the number one easiest, most effective way to decrease your carbon and water um, footprint would be food. So food waste is a huge issue as far as sustainability is concerned. I mean, we could, I could tell you like 1.3 billion tons of food is wasted every single year. But I suppose an easier way to look at it is um, if, if food waste was a country, it would be the third largest contributor to global uh, greenhouse gas emissions after America and China. Wow. So food waste is a, yeah, yeah, it's a huge issue. And, and is that um, just management of what we have in the fridge like this thing of you know after you do the shopping the first thing you do before you unpack the bags is chuck out all the stuff from last week you didn't eat yeah exactly I mean so we waste so much food upwards about a third of all the food that we kind of put on our plate or put in our fridge or in our cupboards gets wasted but there's a side of um, the consumer is wasting a huge amount of food ourselves just even things like we're overstocking our fridge because of these huge jumbo trolleys you know the lure of it it just seems so much more convenient to do a big shop but then it means we can't actually wedge it all into our cupboards and our fridges and it means we're forgetting about the stuff in the, in the back it's going off and then we're throwing it out also the, the kind of the convenience culture of um, online ordering and you're just pressing reorder every every week without actually thinking about what you didn't eat last week and what kind of tended to go off, tend to mm. go off. Um, but also I suppose there's kind of another way of looking at it in terms of like I know we're all kind of being subjected to this unrealistic beauty standard in the, amongst the media but actually our fruit and veg are being subjected to the same unrealistic beauty standards as well you might not realize but oh, um, we should keep eating that, eat those ugly bananas. A hundred percent. Yeah, God love them. Justice for wonky veg is what we're always calling for. <laughs> Let's get the hashtag trending. But um, yeah, so again, about a third of all f- perfectly good fruit, uh, fresh fruit and veg um, goes to waste even before it gets to our shelves. And that's because the producers know that we, the consumers, aren't going to pick the bruised apple or the the carrot with extra leg or the arm or the, you know, the funky, lunky, funky, lucky banana. So unfortunately, because people are looking for this perfection in, in their food... I mean, it's also um, resulting in a huge loss of perfectly good food. And I mean, it just it seems almost criminal when you think all the people out there who are starving and all the resources that are going into food production. What about food choices then in terms of the types of food I'm eating? Like you mentioned carrots, plenty of carrots grown in Ireland, not many bananas. Yeah, exactly. So again, um, a really good way to cut down your carbon footprint is to eat seasonal local produce. And the reason being um, that it's so important to eat seasonal is that um, a huge amount of carbon emissions are created by um, the heating of um, greenhouses. You can imagine greenhouse greenhouses produce greenhouse gases. So um, I know there was a study done in 2019 by the Fumbly Cafe, and they were looking into how to decrease the carbon footprint of you know by cafes yeah. and you know. So um, they looked at an example of uh, avocado imported from Peru versus uh, um, tomato grown in Ireland. But the tomato was grown out of season, so it needed a, green, a heated greenhouse to grow. Um, and they found that actually the it was a really shocking um, finding because it was the tomato actually that had the higher carbon footprint purely on account of um, the, the energy required to heat that greenhouse. Yeah. So even though the, the avocado was coming all the way from Peru, you'd imagine clocking up these huge air miles and yet the fact that it wasn't grown in season, that's the issue. So what, what, just eating a quart to what would them, that leave what me? Would what would that let me eat in December in Ireland? 
nothing. No, I'm joking. Um, it, you'd, you'd, Not a so whole lot. No, no, there is. There's a huge, a lot more than you might imagine. Oh, like, go on, you, sell it to me. No, okay, I'm going to list it all out. So, like, you, you've got um, potatoes, you've got cabbage, you've got Brussels sprouts, you've got carrots. It's interesting. It's actually a lot of the food that you'd see naturally on the kind of, you know, in, as part of the Christmas menu um, is what is grown in season. So car- um, cranberries or, you know, partridge in a pear tree, pears grow are in season in, in winter. It's also interesting because um, in the spring and summer months, the fruits that are in and, and vegetables that are in season are actually higher in sugar naturally and it's kind of reflective of the fact that people are kind of more active during those months so you know it's almost like mother nature planned it all all right okay mm-hmm. i might be able to forego then my tomatoes in december i didn't realize pears yeah. were, were, were were in season in the winter uh, uh, emma again i suppose the question and it's a similar question to, to the one i just asked geraldine about how realistic it is you know given how cheap it is to to scratch that itch to go out and buy that cheap t-shirt or that cheap shirt you know and the the stops the kind of stack them high sell them cheap shops out there like you're you know if if they're catering to what's a, a completely natural aspect of of human behavior as you described it how, how do you prevent people uh, you know being tempted it's about understanding that it ultimately isn't going to satisfy you. That's what I've just written a book that's coming out in February all about this. It's called Stuff Happens. Just a shameless plug there. And um, uh, it's about understanding that it is not going to ultimately satisfy you. The odd little dopamine high from a new thing is great. But the message is buy less and buy better. You will be so much more satisfied if you wait and buy something that's going to be long lasting and that you really actually want. You know, the there have been studies been done that you are the most satisfied with one of those impulse buys in the minute before you um, pay for it, right? So if you can remember that and understand that Yes, the itch is so strong. It's so strong. But if you learn to resist it over and over again, then the eventual purchase you make that is thought out and is something you want is just so much more long lasting. It's really hard to step off that treadmill of shopping yeah. and shopping. But if you can understand the traps they're setting for us all, like, you know, today is, you know, I hate, I hate to even say Go it, like say Black it. Friday, Black Friday. But, you know, sales marketing people are very clever right they they hire proper trained psychologists to try and get into the very most primal parts of our brains to sell us stuff what sales do is they frighten us they go into the most primal parts of our brain that sees oh there's a there there might be a a resource scarcity here something that i might that i might need to survive and it can't distinguish between you know food or discounted eyeshadow it can't So, so so it's about just understanding the tricks and you might say oh it's harmless dopamine high but you know i come from a background I'm, i help people declutter their homes we are all drowning in stuff we oh, don't need yeah. you know they call it stuffication I'm absolutely, and once you see yeah. once you see that once you step off that treadmill and you fill your life with things that you actually want that you use that you repair it's so much more satisfying i promise i yeah. promise all right <laughs> uh, linda in perrystown i hope you're listening because linda texted in to say kieran you're wrecking my black friday buzz with all this talk i'll be socially environmentally aware tomorrow i absolutely promise uh, emma and uh, Ger- geraldine listen thanks a million for that emma gleason writer and sustainability advocate geraldine carton co-founder of the use less projects mm-hmm. 